0: listening to the activist investment today podcast with ron Oral. and i'm very excited to be here with duncan harrington a veteran advisor in the activist world and uh, he recently launched a shareholder activism advisory team at middle market investment bank raymond jane so duncan uh, thanks for taking a little time to talk with us hey ron thanks for having me on Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Duncan's background, which is pretty interesting. Uh, he had worked previously for seven years at Credit Suisse, primarily in its Contested Situations group. Uh, we've seen a, a few uh, high-profile veteran activist defense people leave that group, going to different places, so that's uh interesting development. Uh, you've advised a wide variety of companies targeted by activists, activists uh, including a bruising director battle, which I covered extensively at clothing retailer City Trends, and then we also wrote a lot about, um, you advised, uh, Raymond James advised Pebblebrook Hotel Trust, its contentious takeover, but ultimately successful takeover of LaSalle Hotel Properties. That's a really interesting uh, situation. And then uh, previously at Credit Suisse, uh, Duncan, you helped advise some really big clients, including Macy's, targeted by Starboard Value, and I remember that. That was, uh, I guess, they, they had a big presentation when it was all about the real estate. That was a, that was a big part of yep. it. Oh, and also you advised uh Samsung, which is hard by Elliott Management. And by the way, uh listeners, you can go on to the deal.com to see I did a, a kind of an in-depth dive into Elliott Management's latest campaign at Hyundai and how um you know it differed a lot from the Samsung one. So um, so okay, so let's get started. Um, so yeah, I I guess Duncan, maybe you could start a little bit, tell us a little about uh the 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 size of the companies you advise and my sense is that many of the largest investment banks with activist defense teams focus on really big companies or mid-sized companies and and you mm-hmm. know ignore the smaller ones and i we had some statistics i was uh, that you know the vast majority of uh of activist situations emerges like micro and small cap companies um so I guess one, do you agree with my thesis that they're, you know, most of the big investment banks tar- uh, advise the biggest, bigger companies. And then, uh, you know, wondering if the, if you, and maybe from your experience at Credit Suisse, if you can talk about this, you know, have they, do they turn away some of the smaller ones? And is that why you feel like there's a niche for uh, a defense operation uh, for small mid market companies?
1: Sure. Exactly. Yeah. In, in short, yeah. Uh, yes. Either directly or indirectly. Um, uh, the you know larger banks uh, the bulge bracket firms or large boutiques um you know go after the bigger targets uh, yeah. uh, understandably for two reasons uh, obviously the bigger firms have larger budgets and and can tend to pay the higher fees uh, but um second you know and i think this is probably more important is you know defense for banks at least is viewed as being primarily a powerful client relationship builder uh, in other words you know defending a board in a proxy fight builds a really tight relationship bond with a client and, and usually brings in additional business from that client down the, li- down the line. So mm. for, for that reason, defense mandates and, and the clients need to be reflective of the broader corporate advisory platform. So to the extent advisory practices uh, in def- and, and activism have traditionally been at bulge brackets and, and the large boutiques, then those teams will pursue the larger size clients that the broader corporate advisory practice generally serves, which, which makes sense for them. Uh, banks mm. Like any advisor, have limited resources, and and serving one client is an opportunity cost in that you forego other business. So you'll naturally play to your strength and 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 your typical client base. So, you know it, that was you know true at Credit Suisse, and it's you know true you know it, it, you know for example, if you look at um, um you know activism marketing pieces that many of the larger firms put out regularly, you know quarterly, annually, or whatever. On developments and trends in the activism space you know typically the campaign data they'll include will have a market cap cutoff that it might be a hundred million but for many it's a half a billion or, or more even a billion so that's mm-hmm. they're indicating the area that they focus on that's mo- most relevant to them and their clients um, however that leaves a large chunk of the market out like you said um, you know, we actually did an empirical study looking at US activist campaigns from a recent proxy season and the median market cap of activist targets was well below 300 million. Wow. So, That's so for those, yeah, a big differential there. So for those <laughs> with the 500 million cutoff, that leaves out over half of activism activity.
0: Right. Yeah, it's, and so Raymond James is, yeah, and so why it works so well with Raymond James is that you guys, Raymond James's primary investment banking uh, advises a lot of these uh, middle market companies. So it makes sense for them to have a uh, middle market market. Um, uh, activist defense team.
1: Yeah, exactly. Raymond James. You know, to their credit, saw an underserved gap in the market. They actually had clients approaching them uh, about advising them on en- engaging with activist investors um, prior to them forming the team, and that was part of the impetus behind it. Um, so these are you know companies that are the size of Raymond James' typical public company clients that they know well and do business with every day, and are often you know in the Activism context really the most need of guidance in these situations because they tend to have less experience or sophistication around it. So, you know, um, for, from my perspective, a financial advisor's you know work in in these situations is is probably the least cookie cutter of all the roles on the defense advisor team because, um, uh, you know, the and, and I, for that reason, the, the bank is best able to serve the client if they first understand the client's sector and business and its history mm-hmm. and strategy, et cetera. So, you know, the, the saying goes, you know, proxy fights are never about just board seats. It's, it's always a platform to try to catalyze some type of change. So an activist always has a theory for creating value at the target company that involves some type of significant and often dramatic you know, strategic change, um, whether it's sell all or part of your business. Change, change your business or your market or change your management capital structure whatever, um, you know, with dramatic change comes the uh, potential for dramatic risk and mm-hmm. if the activist is wrong. Uh, so you need an advisor who can effectively stress test the activist thesis against the client's current strategy. And if the company disagrees with the activist about what is long-term value maximizing for all shareholders, then to help effect, we help them effectively articulate that, argument to shareholders in the market.
0: And it sounds to really me like you're saying that a lot of small cap companies generally just do not have the same resources in-house to address an activist campaign as their larger counterparts, right? That's why they need more advice or assistance from uh, an investment bank that specializes in this?
1: Yeah, definitely true. I mean, having seen it at the bulge bracket level and here in the middle market, uh, without a doubt, I mean, the, 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 the typical activist target um, who, as we said before, is very small in size, has a just a small fraction of the resources at its disposal relative to, you know, say a larger cap peer. Um, you know, in addition to just the deeper pockets, a, a larger company is going to be fully staffed and, you know, have a finance and legal and IR and PR departments and whatever else needed to help fight out several months of a, of a public activist campaign. Whereas at these much smaller companies, you know, there could just be, A a small handful, maybe even a couple of people, who perform all of these roles, and it's, you know, it's also the person who sometimes answers the phones and who orders sandwiches for the board meetings, et cetera, and stuff like that. So, (laughs) it's true. I have called a couple of uh, the smaller firms where the uh, the key
0: person I was surprised that answered the phone, secretary. So, (laughs) anyways, go on.
1: So, you know, the result, like you said, is, you know, the, the time, the attention required of these people, as well as the management and the board can just be exponentially greater.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Okay, so, uh, you know, I, it, it, I, I've always found it
0: fascinating that a lot of proxy solicitors will advise both companies and activists. Uh, but generally, uh, what, what I also found is interesting, some of these larger pro, uh, uh uh, investment banks advise companies targeted by activists. They, I discovered that they secretly are also sometimes advising the activists. And um, I did a big piece about that not long ago. But, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. James and I, and the, in the sense I get it from the other, um, you know, mi, mi, uh, middle market kind of uh, uh, investment banks, you won't advise activists, right? Like you guys are advising companies. And uh, I'm just it, it tell me, is that correct? And then two,
1: why? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, correct. I, I mean, I, and look, this is pro- progressively more of an issue with a, a lot of advisors, not just banks, but, you know, including, you know, law firms, for example. I I think for most banks, the calculus has been pretty simple that, and this overlaps with what I was saying before about activism advisory being viewed as a tool to support your broader advisory platform, Um you know, investment banking, you know, one oh one is corporate advisory, with obviously some exceptions to that. You know, we have a financial sponsors team obviously here at Raymond James, but mm-hmm. even in those cases that's working on non-controversial corporate transactions. So taking on a mandate that you know would have sort of the opposite of, of, of you know effect or you know is kind of is contrary to your basic mission statement. Um, you know, a- a- advising an activist against a company can not only create conflicts but also you know create reputational and future business risks that, uh, not just with the target company but also other companies within within that sector or out, out, outside of that sector so it's not to say that some banks don't do it from time to time and and I've, I've you know i've heard reports of like you mentioned some doing it you know sort of um uh you know below the radar um and and many other you know consider it i've i've, I've heard of it and you know I, i'm you know i'm you know Uh, know for a fact that that that's true. Um, And that's also not to say that, you know, there are never cases where Raymond James never represents an investor. Um, You know, the the dividing line these days between who's an activist and and who isn't is, you know, continually, you know, continuing to blur sort of year to year. So, you know, even hedge funds, we consider, you know, top tier activists in the financial press or whatever are really more, you know, multi-strategy funds that dedicate, yeah. They, they might do I have a minority like of the
0: management is more and more like doing private equity. They're buying small micro cap companies sometimes. And that's, uh, there's different divisions and uh, yeah, no, I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Exactly. So uh, let's see here. Um, so we, we chat a little bit about the, the, this, uh, I think a fascinating side of your business, which is kind of from a reporter point of view is, 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 is interesting because it's kind of below the radar. And I wanted to see if you could talk about it before. It sounds to me like uh, one of the things that Raymond James and you do a lot is advise, um, companies, uh, that are not currently facing an activist threat, but that, you know, help them. In their you know vulnerability assessments and uh, to prepare so i could imagine like a company in a uh, like a semiconductor company in a, a hugely consolidating industry or a uh, a conglomerate even in a small to mid-cap size where there's like divisions that are undervalued or are poorly understood or a company that's uh, underperforming its peers you know uh, these are the kind of so i guess one uh, you know uh, tell me a little about this, this, this advice you give. You talked a little bit about white papers, I guess that you, I guess you produce white papers sometimes. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, talk a bit, you know, about your, your business advising companies that are not currently targeted by an activist, but could potentially be targeted down the road.
1: Sure. It's a big part of our work more in the off season, less so in, in the proxy season where right. we're more involved in with, involved with the live situations. But you know, basically we try to give a client an objective view on whether they might be more or less vulnerable to an activist approach and, and where, and, and what are steps they could take to help mitigate that. So, you know, vulnerability assessment is, you know, we look at quantitative data and some qualitative information, um, to assess in a way, you know, uh, an activist perceive whether warranted or not some avenue of attack for that company. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of how, uh, the, the white paper, as you mentioned, we we might, you know, if, if a company wants to see an example of how an activist might try to present their uh, their business to their shareholders, then you know we would try to give them just a sample of that of um, you know what are some of the pressure points they might try to um, you know to, to leverage and. What, you know, what are some of the tactics that activists kind of pull, whether it's you know cherry p- that some activists try to pull, whether it's, you know, cherry picking a peer set or other things like that to try to make a company look as, you know, as negative as possible. And I feel like um, a
0: lot of these small cap companies have, uh, they have corporate governance, uh, you know, they don't meet these, you know, I, the proxy advisor standards for corporate governance on the same level, like an S&P 500 company, would. you know, you could have like, you know, brother of the CEO on the board or I don't know, just like that that that's something that you would look at. Oh, you this you have a director that's been there for twenty six years. An activist could try to target that person for removal, that kind of thing?
1: Sure. Yeah. Part of the qualitative assessment, it would certainly be the, the governance profile. And and I think in terms of things we would discuss with companies about how to mitigate vulnerability, part of that is looking at, you know, what are some of the low lying fruit that are honestly things that companies are probably well aware of, but they've, for whatever reason, backburnered for some time relative to other priorities. For some reason, but it helps bring it back to the fore that this is something that um, you know uh, could be an issue or a pitfall for them, and it's something their shareholders care about and can sometimes help stimulate some type of proactive, positive. Uh, changes,
0: and I feel like there's like bylaws. You can ad- adjust the bylaw advance notice provision bylaws. Uh, and, you know, maybe uh, you might may want to think about installing a poison pill. Um, these these kind of things. Uh, you know, also could be like preparatory things you could do to protect against and and that you know the the possibly of an activist.
1: Yep. Um, Those are more things probably their uh, corporate counsel or defense law firm would do. But yeah, the, uh, you know, a a review of the bylaws and updating them, a a lot of, especially small companies, their bylaws were drafted when they went public. And if it's say like a, you know, community bank or something, those bylaws could have been drafted decades ago and just aren't up to date on giving shareholders clear communication about, for example, how they submit proposals and, and things like that.
0: Okay. So are there any obvious signals before a campaign is public? Is there some sort of way that you could kind of identify that an activist might be lurking, um, uh, you know, a big accumulation of shares or something, or is this the way that you can advise a company to, uh, to say that, you know, you might be seeing an activist shortly?
1: Well, you know, I, I guess that, that is one example. If you did see unusual trading activity, or especially if you saw you know, a known activist take a significant position in, a client's um, stock. But that's, you know, often not the case. A lot of times we're asked to assess vulnerability before any of those types of things happen. And there's not really a simple mm-hmm. formula. I wish it were. I wish there were. And it was sort of a binary thing. But, you know, the classic case an, an activist would look, would look for historically would be, you know, let's say an underperforming company that's undervalued. And, and let's say the activist pushes for a sale. But Mm-hmm. you know, even, even a company that performs well and is healthy and growing can be an attractive M&A target. Um, and, and That's plus true. what's, what's true today for a company can change, you know, dramatically next quarter or or next week. So, you know, in, in short, as they say, no one is immune, um, or, you know, as, as one, um, uh, you know, de- um, activism defense lawyer, I, I know says if, if you're a public company and, and you're not, controlled, meaning, you know, insiders don't have a control position in the stock, then you're potentially susceptible to an activist attack. So, you know, all the quantitative screens and predictive analytics are important and a useful tool, but it's important to remember their their limitations too. I always like to look at
0: the, when the 13 F's come out, and if I see three of what I call my top 20 well-known activist hedge funds all own, like, even a you know, 0.05% stake in, in a company, then I, I usually write a little report saying this could be, tar- I think Jack in the box suddenly emerged with three large activist investors owning small stakes. And by then probably the, you guys and the uh, law firms and a lot of other advisors are already there and there's something going on behind the scenes. But one of the things, oh yeah, one of the things I wanted to get to, there's a lot of activism goes on behind the scenes, right? Like, uh, yeah mm-hmm. uh, campaigns uh, you know that that are never reached the the point where I write about them, right? They're, is that fair, particularly in the in the middle market uh, sphere? Do you see a lot of campaigns resolved behind closed doors?
1: Sure. yeah. um we've you know definitely in the last year we saw an increase in um, willingness on on both sides of the coin activists and companies to try to kind of play ball this year. you know you know, in other words, try to you know work constructively behind closed doors to reach some type of amicable compromise um, or agreement um, you know uncertain if that will continue this year or the pendulum will swing the other way we've seen some things um, you know um, in terms of this upcoming proxy season some things going on privately that indicate kind of a uh, you know, d- mixed results on that, on that uh, question, but. Sounds to
0: me like so, we're going to see some sort of activist uh, campaign come out publicly in a company that uh, Raymond <laughs> is on, but anyways, I'm, I'm just reading between the lines in your comments there. <laughs> Go
1: on. Well, you know, a lot of these things can fizzle out and that, that happened uh, that, uh, a, a lot last year, but I, I think, mm-hmm. look on the activist side, a sophistic- sophisticated activist realizes it's, it's a lot better and easier to get what you want without the cost and risk of a fight. So, Absolutely. you know, the days of the ambush 13D or the ambush, you know, tweet or whatever is, you know, largely going away. And activists will approach a company um, privately way in advance to to get information, establish a dialogue with management, and and make a case privately for for change. And on the company side, you know, 2017 was marked with some really bitter public proxy battles that cost companies a ton of money. And in some notable cases. You know, we're pretty embarrassing public losses um, and it can be all or nothing. You in a proxy fight, you lose board seats, credibility with investors, you may be your CEO or chairman, whereas in a settlement, you can have much more control over the outcome and, and negotiate certain protections.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely uh fascinating stuff. So,
1: okay. We're running out of time. So I think one more
0: question. Um, I always, I'd like to uh, get a sense uh, from you on the, in the, in the middle market sphere, what are some of the, the biggest trends or, uh, I guess latest trends or developments in activism that we, we I guess, maybe we saw last year, what do you think we're going to see in 2019? Uh,
1: yep. I think, um, so, uh, two big things, I think, um, you know, one thing last year, we saw uh, more activism generally going um, uh, international, so are, are oh, yeah. increasing outside the U.S., and that w- that mm-hmm. became more true in the middle market. In the past, it had been more the, the top-tier biggest um, oh, activists. Uh, this year, we saw some uh, more U.S., uh, you know, smaller size activists going abroad, so activism was at peak levels in, in Canada and the U.K., for example, last year. I expect that to continue. Um, the other interesting Those change. Canadian I think,
0: special shareholder meetings.
1: <laughs> Sorry, go Yeah, on. exactly yeah, right. And so you know one. there was a, there you know a big upt- uptick in um, you know um, natural resources campaigns. So a mm-hmm. lot of that was you know targeted up uh, north of the border. Um, mm-hmm. And then in terms of the sector mix, you know, financial ca- campaigns at financial companies were way down last year, probably like half of where it was the year before because. Um, Valuations for financial companies, mainly banks, has been had been so high uh, for the um, uh, for you know just before 2018 and, and the first half of 2018. Now, in the last quarter or so, as bank stocks have retreated quite a bit, we're starting to see and, and hear about privately a lot of um, uh, you know a lot of those uh, activists in the bank who'd been sort of on the sidelines for the last uh, year or so are starting to kind of come back to life. So expect that to rebound some this year.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Actually, one of the, uh, what was it called, HopFed Bank, one of the Larry Seidman banks was just sold recently. And uh, uh, yeah, there was a guy, uh, the Clover, uh, Johnny Gary, just went to join this other activist fund, which I thought was an interesting addition. Uh, There was this, uh, I guess, Washington State Bank that was being targeted by activists I suspect we'll see a campaign emerge there again this year so um, all right fascinating stuff we are out of time you have been listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast with Ron Orle and I just want to thank Duncan Harrington who is the uh, just a veteran advisor with uh, Raymond James for taking a little time to chat with us thanks Ron